you've fallen down the rock and roll rabbit hole. All right. Welcome to another edition of the Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. That's right. And uh, I'm Kevin Gibson. And I'm Butch Bays. And here we are again. We elected to introduce ourselves last time at the forefront. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from our mistakes. (laughs) You you can only hope to advance and learn. That's Uh, all we can do. Shall we do the opening ceremonies? The opening ceremonies. Ah, yes. All right. So we are, every week we'll drink uh, a beer. This is Uber Hipster IPA from Fall City Brewing Company in our town of Louisville, Kentucky. We're unsponsored. We are not sponsored by Fall City, but so we far. are looking for sponsors. So, <laughs> this is this is why not, this is not why we're doing this. We do this because we like beer and like IPAs. But cheers, Butch. We, <laughs> cheers. we we are we are announcing this because we want to help them, and also maybe they'll give us a sponsorship later. Well, it could potentially make the the show more interesting. That. Uh, <laughs> This is just another little extra layer. <laughs> That's lovely. I like that. <laughs> Galaxy hops. Thank you very much. All yeah. right, introduce the topic. What, what are we? What are we looking at so tonight? Tonight's topic. Is, the song is is My Sharona by The Knack, and the topic is The Knack had this song, and in their later years, they they reconvened, and it was sort of known as their Golden Albatross, and this was quoted by lead singer Doug Figer many many times in interviews so an albatross is like a bird that doesn't fly very well or what, what is an the- albatross <laughs> an albatross is is a, a piece of literature that was I actually wrote a book around this oh this. did you okay so good. it was the good. the rhyme of the ancient mariner and so the main character had killed this albatross and in this story this was a sort of a sin and so he had to wear this albatross around his neck the rest of his life oh, so oh. that people would remember that what he did. And so he she carried the shame around. Like a scarlet letter of some kind. Yes, very much like that. And, <laughs> okay. so, and so Doug Figer, the lead singer of the Knack, sort of chose that you know that metaphor, so the golden albatross. So it's yes, it's an albatross that's always hanging around your neck, but it also was the reason they still continued to tour 30 years later. It served them well. It served them well. <laughs> and, and, you know, it helped extend their careers. And, and, and Doug died in, in 2010, you know, Sadly. unfortunately. And, yeah. Um, but he had an extended career because of that song. He did a lot of He produced. He recorded a solo album or two. You know, he did he did a lot of other stuff. By all accounts, a pretty good guy, yeah, actually, right? He yeah. Was, yeah, he turned into a good guy. He actually was, he was an extra on the, the, the TV show Roseanne. Oh, many times. Really? He was good friends with Tom Arnold. Wow. Who crazy. was married to her. So he was, if you ever watch reruns of Roseanne and they're sitting around playing cards, Doug Figer is one of the guys playing cards with Tom Arnold and, and, uh, Dan. No way. Yeah. Yeah. That's some crazy trivia yeah. there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, this is stuff only I know. So, this was a mighty, <laughs> mighty hit. Let's go with the tail of the tape. Let's do it. Hold on. <laughs> let's see if I can get this right. All right. Hey, <laughs> we got it right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, My Sharona was released in June of 1979. It was written by Burton Avare. And uh, Doug Figer, it went number one in Australia, Canada, and the United States. 
and it was way up in the charts in most of the world, right? It, it was, yes. It was only number 14 in Ireland, so they, did, they didn't yeah, get the net. you know what? Net. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't get it. <laughs> so it sold a half a million copies in 13 days. A half a million. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Fastest gold status debut single for Capitol Records since the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand in 1964. Uh, it went gold in Guatemala. <laughs> I thought I found that quite interesting. Guatemala. If you go yeah. gold in uh, Guatemala, it's, it's heady it's times. A, it's right. <laughs> like our band, The Uncommon Housewives, will never go gold in Guatemala. We, we never will. <laughs> we will not. Uh, the song charted again in 1994. As a result of being used in a scene in the the movie Reality Bites yeah. with uh, Winona Ryder, I have a great story about that later. That good, we'll, Mac we'll, fans will know, but many people won't know. Oh well, that's so, good. That's yeah. what we want to bring to people. Uh, My Sharona has reached the ten million sales threshold. God, ten million, crazy. And the 10 album, million. yeah. And the album, get the knack has sold. Uh, yes, okay. Yes. Album, <laughs> get the knack <laughs> has sold over six million copies worldwide. And I, I bought like a third of those. So there's your. Well, I believe that. Well, <laughs> I've got several copies of it. There's the tale of the tape, <laughs> as it were. The statistics. What a mighty, mighty song. So the song itself. So yes. Here's here's I'm gonna make the backstory as short as I can. But okay, well. uh, Doug was in his mid twenties and he met Sharona Alperin, who was right. sixteen or seventeen. Did they call it the little group of fans they had the Nackets? The Nackets, yes. <laughs> and I'm, I actually found a picture of them and and a few years ago, and, and it was it was mainly three girls who yeah. loved the knack, and Sharona nice. was the leader, and and Doug fell in love with her. He went into a store and met her. And immediately fell in love with her. And, obsessed, uh, obsessed, obsessed. Yeah. yeah, it was beyond love. <laughs> uh, but he invited her to a show, and she started coming out, and she loved the band. And she had a boyfriend, and he had a girlfriend at the time, a live-in girlfriend. Okay. And <laughs> the song was written, re- literally, Burton brought in the riff you know, and Doug was like, "Oh, this is really great," but he, but they didn't have words for it. Pretty irresistible riff, yes. And so one day, Doug was like, "I've got words, I've got lyrics for this song." And so Burton came over, and Doug started singing the song to him. And Doug's living girlfriend was in like in the next room, and Burton was like, "You can't do that." So he's singing about my my uh, my Sharona, my Sharona, but this girl that he met that he was in love with. Oh, Even goodness. though his girlfriend was in the next room, and Burton was like, you can't do that. Burton was like on the up and up. You know, sure. You can't do that. And, and so he at first was like, we can record the song, but we got to take her name out of it. We got to change it. Oh, he didn't even want to go with He the... was like, I don't want to do that because he didn't feel right about it. Oh, nice. But Interesting. How do you replace... Burton's the guitar player. Yeah. Yeah. And he for played those that you know. yeah. amazing lead guitar, that solo that is mind melting to this yeah, day fantastic which yes. i will defend to my death <laughs> as being one of the best guitar hopefully solos it ever come, played hopefully it doesn't come now, to I'm that old. i mean it doesn't matter at this point but <laughs> but no but like it was one of those things where like he was like no nah, i don't do that and and but how do you replace a name like sharona i know which it's was, so, which is such a rare name it's such a cool and yeah. and so so finally he relented and they released you know they they recorded it as that and it became a song you know it was like and I'm going to look at my notes here all right so uh, Burton's take on it was later later he was like 
This song was just about, and quote unquote, a teenage boy trying to fuck a teenage girl. <laughs> okay. He's like, yeah. it was less about Sharona and more about, because it was written from the point of view of a 14 or 15 year old boy. I just broke into a cold sweat. <laughs> Sorry, but but no, it's it's it really was it was a, it, Doug's the the whole concept of that first the first two albums was they were writing from the perspective of a horny young boy in puberty. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was the whole concept of the first two albums. It was supposed to be a double album. Right. And so the record company Columbia said, "No, we're gonna we're gonna make it one album, and we'll see how it goes." I can't think of too many double album debuts. By no, it. I don't think that's a thing that a record just, company would ever. And yeah. that was Doug being Doug, one hundred percent Doug being Doug. He was a yeah, he was uh, ready to go. He wasn't was a he? visionary, and he <laughs> and he he already had released two albums on a major label as a teenager under the name Sky. His first band was named Sky. Oh, I had no idea. He was so born, that's in, new information. born in Detroit, got a record deal at age 17. Wow. When he graduated high school, moved to California. He recorded an album um, in the same studio with the Rolling Stones. They were recording their album in 1977, whatever it was. So he, was, he was rubbing shoulders with uh, yeah. and he met them Mick and, Jagger. And, yeah. yeah. So this is Crazy. a guy who was a veteran in the industry by the time this all happened. Well, you know, they talk about overnight sensations, and I think a lot of bands really, uh, you know, chuff at that because it's... Right, because it's, they work hard. They do, and there's a big yeah. journey that usually goes into this thing that comes out into the public mind as a, a sudden mm-hmm. thing. Overnight sensation, yeah. Right, totally. Right. So, but the knack, they, they gigged in... in, in California, Hollywood, and in L.A. and became huge. And there so, was a lot like, of buzz, you know, big time. Yeah, yeah. They played on stage with Ray Manzarek from <laughs> nice. the Doors. Yeah. They played on stage with Tom Petty. Uh, good. They played on stage with Bruce Springsteen. Now they credit Bruce Springsteen as uh, bringing in the offers for a record deal. Yep. Uh, I think uh, Doug said they got fourteen offers. He may have been <laughs> yep. exaggerating a little bit. He said when Springsteen got on stage with them, that yep. brought in the and offers. Springsteen yeah. wrote a song for them. That they recorded. Oh, nice. Called Don't Look Back. And then he later took the song back and said, you can't release it. But they recorded oh. it. Oh. They oh. recorded it for the first album. Yeah, true story. <laughs> but no, but like, yeah, they, they, they got a lot of offers and they went with Capital partly because they're like, that was the Beatles. That was the, the bands that we loved. Yeah. And so they signed the record deal on the roof of the Capitol's. I think high rise, a circular high rise. The fact that Capital handled the uh, Beatles business in America yep. had to be a big influence on a lot of people yep. that started rocking because this they was, this saw was the Beatles. Nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. The Beatles only been broken up for for eight years, nine years. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so funny it to so think about that now. In yeah. the minds of people like Doug Figer and Burton Navarre, it was still fresh. So there's good video of them in the uh, contract signing yeah. on top of the building. And the wind with a lot blowing of, a through lot of the wind. air and blowing <laughs> the papers away. Yeah, a lot of wind. Look that up. It's great. It's, <laughs> it's the, the video of uh, Another Lousy Day in Paradise, their, their song from their third album. I actually watched that. Isn't yeah, that I great? thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that album. So that shows a lot of their rise, and it was part of their fall too. That album was part of their fall. But um, well, we're talking about the song. And so Sharona Alperin was the was the focus of this song because Doug right. was obsessed with her. There were two other songs on that first album that was that were about her. They were, that's what the little girls do. Yep, and she's so selfish. 
and it was about her holding out. She would hang out with him, but she would not give him what he wanted. And I will not. I will leave that unsaid. She made him wait a year to date her or something. Supposedly. Yeah, a the, long the, time after was, the song became a hit. Yeah. Know? Oh, she was like, no, I'm not going to give this up. But they finally get they got engaged and were together for like four years. But uh, but interestingly, the track when they recorded it, basically they, they recorded it with the Mike Chapman, um, right? Who basically just said, "I just turned the machine on." To hit record and let them record. He kind of, the way he overtured the band or, you know, the way he courted the band, he said, uh, I want to, your live set is fantastic. What I want to do is just set up a live set in the studio and you guys just do your thing. He got out of the way. We'll just turn it on. And he kind of admits that. He's a great producer and and had a lot of hits on his own right. He even wrote some hits, believe it or not. (laughs) What is it? Mickey? By uh, Tony Basil, yeah, yeah, and then uh, Ballroom Blitz was another um, for the sweet. Right? Uh, Love is a battlefield, <laughs> by yeah, uh, uh, and one that really uh, reminds or that s- sticks with me a little bit is uh, Exiles. I want to kiss you all over was oh. written by Mike Chapman. Was <laughs> my, my uh, and that's a Kentucky when I, band. When I was in middle school, my my science teacher would he would joke and say, "I'm going to kiss your. I'd rather kiss your dog Rover." <laughs> that is great. That's, That's an aside. Yeah. You should have sent that to Weird Al. He probably could have done something with that. So, but anyway, yeah, he just kind of turned on the equipment. He he so, obviously got a good sound in the studio because yeah. that thing is poppy, bright, bold, beautiful pop music. But the uh, story rock and roll. is yeah. the story is that that they they just played it one time because they were so tight from playing at LA stages for so long. Yeah. That, most of the songs, all the, the tracks were recorded together. Drums, bass, guitar, and like the only... And they kept those tracks. They kept them. That's And the awesome. only overdubs were just some vocals, some vocal punch-ins. Yeah. Uh, a quote by Mike that I really enjoyed was he said, they spat it out and it meant yeah. something. Yes. Like they, they meant something by, yeah. you know... Because they were, like, they were like playing live in the club and that's what they did live is they just barfed it all over you he said <laughs> it barfed the rock and roll all over you well what a tagline that would have been you know, we will barf we can use we that we will barf on we you we can use that well, I, I like that for our bands. but he, he said it was very refreshing to have a band come in the studio that that just could play they could really do it so you right. just and you and didn't you create to, something off of yeah, yeah. So there's another uh, kind of a cool story with with that song. Um, okay, good. And and in sort of that era takes place as it the, was sweeping the globe. It was sweeping the globe, and the cars had Candio out on the market. And we right. all know the cars, and we all love the cars. If you're listening to this podcast, you love the cars. I obviously. was really, really, really into the cars at that time. Yeah. They caught my imagination with that. The uh, synthesizers blended with you know good rock guitar and hooks and stuff yeah. from the cars the melodies were amazing so it was it was the new wave so, new wave of rock and roll really really Elliot interesting easton. yes elliot easton comes yep. into the story and we we both we both know this story so guitar player and occasional singer no not not a singer for the cars oh uh, no he he was just a guitar player yeah right he also the the guitar player now for the empty hearts uh, Supergroup. Supergroup yeah. with Clem Burke, uh, who is the drummer for Blondie, and Wally Palmer, my friend, who is the lead singer of The Romantics. So look up. They have a, a newish album out uh, called The Second Album. It's <laughs> nice. really good, really 60s-influenced, great pop they really rock. Had to, they really had to brainstorm on that. <laughs> I know. That was, that was one of those things that... 
Yeah. Kind of but, fun. All right, Elliot so, Easton. Go. So they were doing in-stores, right? The cars were doing in-stores. Signing the albums, and, whatnot. And Rico Kasich was getting more and more annoyed because the Knack, my Sharona, they were at number one, and the album's at number one. Right. And everywhere <laughs> they stopped on these tours to sign autographs, Okasik was like, the f***ing Knack. There was Again. A, a full-size cutout. A full-size cutout. <laughs> the Knack. Oh, the Knack. <laughs> and, and he just was, and so, and so Elliot was just like, they, they, the rest of the band thought it was funny. And so finally at one point, they coerced one of the one of the record store managers to give them one of those cutouts and they handed it off to a you know a tour hand you know a roadie and they put it in Rick Ocasek's hotel room in his bed and they covered him up with just the the Nax heads showing they tucked it up he he tucked it up to the Chins. He, he said that uh, uh, <laughs> Doug Figer's shit-eating grin, you know, yeah. was like part of that. And, and, and so it was, and, and they, they like could hear him from his hotel room yelling, the neck, the neck, ah, why? So I love that story. I just thought that was so brilliant. Um, and so, yeah, we're off We're off track here. It was highly effective. No, but, that's a great story. The, but the story, of the, sort of the, the focus of this podcast is... The Golden Albatross. Okay? Correct. So, the Knack are not the only band to have a Golden Albatross. True. You know, in a, in a different way, even, you know, my buddies, the Romantics, have What I Like About You, which was not their most popular hit. And we're going to do a show about them later. So, have you discussed that with them? What what it's like to have this big hit? A little a, bit. That kind of hangs, little bit, looms not, over the not, catalog? Let's not go there. Okay. All right. The whole thing is tonight is My Sharona. So, the, the without My Sharona, the knack would be a blip in history. But they <laughs> they didn't have any other big hits. They had top 20 hits that people forget. They're not really a one-hit wonder They're per not. se. That's the thing. Right. But everyone thinks of them that way. Right. You know, um, Good Girls Don't was a top 25 Billboard hit. Right. It's a you song know? that I recognize when I hear it. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't. And so the whole thing is like, and, and Doug, and, and or, I'm sorry, uh, Burton Avare in, in one of his interviews said, I will say, yeah, I was I was in the knack. And people go, oh, yeah, the knack. He said, then I'll say, yeah, we did My Sharona. And they go, oh, yeah, My Sharona. So he's like, the knack is not nearly as recognizable as My Sharona. And right. that's the whole premise of the Golden Albatross. And that's what Doug has been quoted many, many times. He said the song has a life of its own. Has a life of its own, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't include the knack. It's sort of like it's separate from them. Like he, it's, he exactly. He mentions it almost like it's a a song from another band or something, or or its own entity. You yeah. know, which I thought was quite interesting. So, and the thing is, they they never resented the 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 success of it. They just had to learn to live with it. You know, and they and they really as a band wish. You know, and I, I follow Burton on on Twitter, and I've interacted with him some. And, Interesting, uh, intelligent and fellow. Yes, very, yeah. very, very aware of politics, and oh, and yeah, the same okay. for for Prescott <laughs> Niles, the bass player, and and Bruce Gary died many, many years ago. And what the, did he really? The drummer, uh, the fantastic drummer. We played, hardly knew you. I loved that yeah. guy. He was great. He was great, but uh, and, he had two Doug, first names. Yeah, exactly. Always a crowd pleaser. But uh, Doug died in, I think, 2010. And, 
you know, after not long after I met him. Um, so the the song became like the the obviously the golden albatross where we're we're going to go out and play a show. We're going to play our new songs because they had they had two modern albums that they released in the late nineties and early two thousands, and they were songs that they were proud of, and no one ever requests those songs at their shows but me. Everybody was uh, looking at their watches, waiting for my Sharona to That's roll up. That's <laughs> exactly it, and I've got a great story about that. Okay, so right. I was at I saw them at a show about two thousand two, two thousand three. Uh, Doug died in two thousand ten. This was you know the only time I met him. But was this their last victory lap? Would you say or something I think like they that? played some more after that, but he yeah. had brain cancer. So the last right. three or four years of his life, he didn't do much. Sure, he was yeah. battling brain cancer. Right, understand. Yeah. Uh, they played a fantastic show, and I watched it with with our friend Sarah Havens and some other friends of, of ours. And uh, halfway through the show, I was up front. Of course, I was up there cheering on the new songs. They were playing songs from, <laughs> from their latest album. You were uh, the one guy. <laughs> I was. I was cheering on songs from uh, Normal is the Next Guy, which was their last album. Right. And so there was a guy in the front row screaming, "My Sharona!" between every between every song. Play oh, my Sharona. Oh, play my Sharona. Oh, and, like they like they weren't going to do that. Right, you know, exactly. And I overheard Doug. He leaned down between songs while Burton was tuning, and he leaned down and he said, "If we play it now, the show's over. Is that what you want? Do you want that?" <laughs> I love. And, and I laugh. I was just I love like, that quote. <laughs> it's so. If we good. Play it now, the show's over. And the guy and the guy was just struck. He didn't know words, you know. And so after the show. Uh, the two things I remember saying to Doug, I don't remember the, the whole conversation, but I said, one, I said, well, you, you think you'll record another Knack album? And he said, yeah, I think we will. We have songs that we want to get to. Good. And they never did, unfortunately, because then his ah, cancer had set in. But I said, I heard what, what you said to that guy, and that was really funny. And he, he just kind of shrugged and smiled and said, man, he said, it's just what happens. You know, He didn't resent the success of the song. He just w- was hoping that fans would accept the new music they're making well they should if you love my sharona right and you love everything about that song you should be accepting of what else do do these creative people have to offer right and he pointed out that it was not just the number one hit of 1979 it was it was regarded by some as the top hit in the in the entire decade of the 70s you know, it That's changed things. It brought rock and roll back over disco in the charts. And that's I think why it was important. There's always these resets in rock and roll, I believe. You know, sort of like Nirvana in a, around 91 or 92. Right. Um, it always gets back to the, the the bass drums and guitar. And Kurt Cobain and, said, and, yeah. he said, we... we are the knack of the 90s, and there's nothing wrong with that. He said that. He, he even that mentioned is, that. That is a quote from Kurt Cobain. Interesting. He's fine with it. He, he thought that Smells Like Teen Spirit was the My Sharona of the 90s. He, he had a quote on he that. He said that. Well, yeah. he, he had a yeah. quote on uh, <laughs> a Smells Like Teen Spirit. Kurt Cobain was quoted as saying, uh, I could barely get through it. I wanted to throw my guitar down and walk away. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I kind of looked at a few bands that had like their own golden albatross. Well, in, in our last episode, Joan Jett, you know, she made peace with it. Made peace with it with "I Love Rock and Roll" dominating. It, her it's career. funny that she had to go through this time where she decided whether yeah. you know 
I mean, I think having that one big hit, right, and that's the sort of the focus of this. When, when, when yeah. you get through all this history, we're going to talk about that. Which what's better, Crazy. you know? There's still more <laughs> no, history to true. go. Let's do some more of that, and then we'll talk about that. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about how the single itself, my Sharona. Yep. What I noticed about it, I kind of analyzed it over the week, and I wanted right. to see if you agree with these things of what made it incredible. Okay, well, I think the elements that went into it are uh, lust meets an incendiary performance. I think even from the drum track of that song, you could tell what song you're listening to yeah. somehow. Because yeah, cause Bruce Gary came up with like this surf rock drum. So he had a drum. surf background, which was really fantastic. It made it incredible. I said the F word again, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'll, I'll stop saying thing. I'll bleep it in post-production, which will be a blast. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, well, no, it's good. Anyway, I think the song comes on at stair steps. Starts with drums yeah. only. It does, right? yeah. Then enters the bass. You're like building a rock band here, yep. you know. Uh, starts with drums, then bass, then guitar comes in, then the vocal. It's sort of like you, you're putting these uh, chess pieces on a board yep. where you have your drummer, your bass player, your guitarist, and your vocalist. It's sort of announcing that this is what... These are the four yeah. building blocks of rock and, and roll. We're, and we're going somewhere special. Yeah, we're going uh, somewhere yeah we went somewhere special. Rocking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I felt like the song had multiple, multiple guitar hooks, uh, vocal hooks, more than one, <laughs> yeah. and even a drum hook. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, I looked up the definition of, of hook on Merriam-Webster. Even It says wow. something, something devised to ensnare. And I thought, that's yeah, that song. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> it <exactly> ensnares. It. <laughs> but anyway, it that's is, my sort of a me. little, little uh, a piece on how that song was built. And I'm telling you, it's incredible. It Lyrics really are great. It, it, well, everything. And, and that's, that's, what, that's where I, I would like to get to the lyrics is that, you know, this was like a 26-year-old man hitting on a 17-year-old girl. Creepy. That's creepy. Yeah. And yeah. then I went and saw him play live when he was in his 50s. It's even creepier. It's not. Hear. It's not Jerry Lee Lewis creepy, but it's it's not getting quite, in that but it's range. Close. Yeah. And, but to to hear a fifty five year old Doug Figer, and I'm turning fifty five soon, right? You know, seeing I, you know, I get off on the touch of a younger kind. I'm like, dude, you know, you're getting into weird territory. Well, here. to be fair, uh, uh, Sharona Alperin at that time would have been <laughs> in her forties. She was. Well, that's <laughs> so, true. <laughs> And they were engaged, and it's like it's not she was. It's not like she was like offended by that at all. I'm, I'm not judging. I love the knack. I, I think love, they were love, honest lyrics. He, I love them. Yeah. I love watching them. I saw them three times, and I love them. And I, you know, love the albums. And I've, I've, I've owned all of them, and I've collected knack stuff. But you must admit, old Doug's a, a little creepy. That was a little creepy. A little creepy. It was a little creepy. <laughs> anyway, so. So we, I just want to. I'm looking at my notes here. Yeah. And so Doug, you know, Doug went down the bad path. And the one story I want to tell before we really get into talking about the Golden Albatross is that he was. I read or there was an interview with him. I think it was in the uh, the documentary Getting the Knack, and it's right. great to watch. I'm, I have yet to see that. I really know, like even to get a hold of that. If you're not a fan of the band, it's a great kind of behind the music sort of thing. I'm into um, that. Yeah. But he said that. He always thought from the time he was a kid that, you know, if I make it, if I get a, a number one hit and I, and I have a band that's, you know, that's on top of the world, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to finally be happy and not have all these unhappy thoughts. And he said he was in his kitchen reading Billboard magazine, 
My Sharona was number one, and the knack, Get the Knack was number one. So he got everything, everything, everything he, he wanted. wanted. Yes. And he was reading a story about how great they were, and he, he said, I still felt the same. And he said, that's when I turned to heroin. And that's, he already was an alcoholic, and then he turned to heroin, and it just man. ruined, it destroyed everything. I think that's crazy. I've heard that story a lot from people that they yeah. think that money or success or recognition right. will fix all the things that kind of torment you inside, yep. you know, like. And, and, and a lot of people choose, they, they chase that with relationships, buying yep. a bigger house, having yep. a better job. His right. thing was musical fame, and right. it didn't work out for him it, it worked out for him and then he got the hit it just didn't work for him emotionally and so it crazy? took him many years so what were his hang-ups do you know i mean what did he have a bad childhood did he i mean no i mean one, i know everybody has no one will ever know, ever know that i don't okay think, except yeah. his closest family he and didn't friends, share <laughs> but, you know his his older brother was a jeffrey figer who was the the lawyer for uh dr kevorkian for real? Yeah, you didn't know oh that. My yeah, gosh. Oh, yeah. Worlds collide right so there. So they were two very successful siblings uh, in di- very different ways. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> look up Jeffrey Figer and look at him, and you're like, oh, that's <laughs> Doug Figer's brother. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure he has a resemblance. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. All right, I'm going to go to some of my notes here and see what your yeah, observations are on these points. Okay. So the. Uh, uh, Sharona Alperin said the song was everywhere. She yep. couldn't escape it. Yep. She said it, it, she would fly on an airplane. It was on the airplane. She would get in a limo. It was on the limo. She would yep. uh, go into the hotel I lobby. Saw that same interview. It, yeah. it was in the lobby. Yep. And she said she would even turn it off sometimes because it was just too much for her to take. And uh, her thought, own name to be. <laughs> Yeah. So were there riots? Were there riots around the band? I mean, were people just like... No, it was never like that. Never too it was, bad? It wasn't the Beatles, but, but there were major, major fans. So what do you think about the no interviews policy of the uh, the Knack uh, that they kind of agreed on at some point? They've always sort of uh, blamed that on some young interns who said, let's, let's just build the mystique and make it like the Beatles. You know, yeah. that you have limited access. Did were there was there limited access to the Beatles? But well, after a while, yeah, because oh. they were the Beatles. Well, true. But everyone <laughs> everyone compared them back to the Beatles because of Capitol Records and the sure. the the image they put out. So, uh, what do you think? <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I, I think it, there was. I think that they were like, let's let's just sort of make it like a '60s looking album cover, and the the back. The back cover is more Beatles to me. You know, if you look at the back cover. Well, I think that was sort of intentional there, the back cover. Yeah. But I mean, why not wear on your sleeve what your um, right. what your influences are and what your goals are, right? You know, it's yep. kind of neat. I mean, like you had gone through the period of rock and roll kind of stretching out into long things like Freebird and yep. and uh right. and, uh, they, and they were recording know, Stairway two and a half. to Heaven. Right. Things that couldn't be less beatle Well, you know, you're going back to like the Beatles during their pop era right. is what, you know, they're... they're and they were recording of, two and a half minute pop songs and... Sort of the perfect kind of thing, right? right? These know, short like songs. Things like I know you're a fan of that. <laughs> Otara and, you know, and that's what the little girls do. I mean, that, that whole album to me is just magic. There's, I mean, there's really not a song in that album that, I'm, that I don't like. So tell me, are you... 
you know, I've kind of shame. I was ashamed of myself this week when I realized that I knew my Sharona, but had never really listened to the album oh. and, and the the deeper cuts on that album because everything I've heard off that album so far, I've thought was fantastic. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I mean, like I'm starting to think that I'm a. I don't. I consider myself to be an, a, a rabid rock fan, but I might be a casual rock fan that only listens to well, the singles. We all are. In our What's own on way. the radio? We are. Yeah, we all are in our own way. But but no, no. I, I'm I'm just a guy that I just love the knack. I love all that all that they have to offer, and I love the deep cuts, the B sides, all you know. Their approach is fantastic. If I love anyone listening to this, if you can go find the knack song spinning. Go find it. It's spinning, fantastic. Spinning. It was never. I'm sure it's findable. It was later. It was later. So here's another thing I want to ask you about. Um, uh, were you aware that the total cost of recording "Get the Knack" was seventeen five seventeen thousand five hundred dollars when bands were spending a, an average of two hundred thousand at the time? <laughs> I 100 percent was yes aware of that. They just burned right through it. I guess you know because it, it took two weeks. Because they knew the song so well, and Chapman said, you know what, I'm going to get out of the way and just let him record. So what do you think of this comment? This was from Burton, of our uh, the guitar player. He said, uh, they wrote pop songs like it was their religion. <laughs> Doug said there were no B-sides in the catalog. Do you agree it's all like all like A-side hit all type? All killer, no filler? All killer, no filler. I think there was some filler, but that first album is mostly killer. Second album, there was definitely filler. But the third album, people don't recognize the third album. The third album is, I didn't like it at first, but as yeah. I grew older, you know, Doug, Doug Figer's whole image was this was going to be a process. They were going to have three albums and then they were going to be out. Yeah. And so the first album would be the oh, double album. They kind of planned it that way? That's no Doug did. way. Doug did, yes. Who thinks that far ahead? Doug Figer, because he was a genius. <laughs> but he said the first album would be. The 14, 15 year old kid going through puberty, trying to get laid, voicing his frustrations. Okay. And the second album would be the same kid in college getting more wisdom, getting more worldly. And right. the third would be him as, as a cynical adult. Oh, oh, okay. And he would and he would be just like it'd be more of a like a, a not a metal album but a hard rock album like a more like a commercial album where man. he's just he's just serving the man that's a real bird's and eye they, view of a career i don't see and they I, recorded yeah. the, they recorded all that wow. so round trip was the second supposed to be the second album so he stuck the, they stuck to that plan yes that, well wow. in, in their own way the second album was like the revolver of the next career. If you listen yeah. to it, it's really a really good album. Wow. It's really good. Um, and then uh, then you've got Serious Fun. Serious which Fun. Is, which is the third in that in that series. And it's really like, it's like a lot of it's hard rock. It's a hard rock. It's weird, man. It's a weird knack album. But Was I it due it. to the, the, the flavor of the day? It's part or? of it, but Doug, Doug always swore it was part of their plan wow. to release... And if you look at their, you know, the, the late 80s, they, they did some live shows, and it was like a, like a hard prog rock they were doing. It was Crazy. weird, man. It was weird. So I felt like the band, hair. the band, I felt like they um, sort of, um, 
looked at Doug as somewhat of a maniacal dictator after the success of My Sharona. And uh, do you feel like they were in with the the sort of the the grand overarching plan that Doug had, or do you think they kind of kicked back against that just a little? I think they pushed back. Okay. Because I don't don't think they liked that, that he ruled the band with a kind of an iron fist, you know. I've, and, I've, and I've sensed in some interviews they were a, a little less than happy Bruce, about Bruce that. Bruce Gary and, and Doug left on bad terms. and Well, Bruce said that uh, before they made it were the good times. After they made yeah. it, it started yep. to sour exactly. immediately yep. uh, but due to drug problems and yep. whatnot. So. And that was mostly Doug. And let's, let's, I'm going to do one more thing, and then we'll okay. talk about whether it's good or bad that the golden albatross oh yeah okay so good. the golden albatross story carries forward into the early 90s all the way there all the way to to the nirvana era the grunge to the nirvana the, era yeah to huh. reality bites oh yes okay and so the story being that the knack were offered i say we want the, they we want your song quentin tarantino so we want your song for a scene in pulp fiction wow and also, that was a very influential soundtrack there, yeah. Big time. Yeah. And then shortly after they were offered, we want your song for the soundtrack of a song called Reality Bites about Generation X. A and, movie, yeah. Mo- yeah. And so the scene in Pulp Fiction was a, a rape scene oh. involving Ving Rhames. And the scene in Reality Bites was was uh kids dancing, dancing at the convenience in a, store in a convenience store you know and, oh and let me so, think about that for a minute <laughs> yeah exactly and so Figer said you know what we're going with reality bites we're not because i don't want to be associated with that and so the song actually charted again because of that movie it went it went top Top hundred Billboard's it Hot One Hundred again, yeah, and sold them a bunch more. Did they do a tour on the back of that sort of uh, rise again? That was I think that part was... of their yeah rise because they they uh, they released an album in the late nineties called um, uh, Zoom. And Zoom, it's, it's yeah. a fantastic album. If you go on eBay, get a <laughs> copy. It's fantastic. If you're a Knack fan, you don't have it. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. It oh, really no is. kidding. I wow. go back to it all the time. Interesting. All the time. There's a song called Mr. Magazine. Mr. Magazine. This sounds like a lost, kind of like a lost Beatles song. Nice. <laughs> and it's about, it's just The about, title certainly sounds like about, a lost hey, Beatles. It's about the media. It's about, yeah. it's about, and, and as part of the media, I should be offended, but I'm not. You know, it's it's about the, the media controlling the American kind of narrative. But you took it well. <laughs> I, you know, I I take things pretty well. So anyway, <laughs> so let's get down to the final part of this. Is like okay, Butch, we have yes. a band. Yes, you we do. Else lies. Yes, would we do. Would you rather? Would you rather us have one hit and be known only for that hit, and no one else cares about any of our other songs, or would you rather? be just what we are and no one cares about any of our songs anyway and but yet we're able to somehow make you know make our way doing it right i'm gonna say as a uh, journeyman musician (laughs) that's uh that we've we've only been able to exist as a band in sort of the um sort of extreme underground okay (laughs) i'm gonna say that 
I would take the hit. I would take the hit as opposed to being a band that was maybe never, never known. You know, like yeah. you're talking about a big star or somebody like that, a band that that didn't really come into the public consciousness so much. Right. Um, I, I agree. I totally agree. And with I you. can see where it would be annoying that everybody's waiting at your show to hear the one song yeah. and whatnot. But uh, I think I'd take it because it's sort of the dream to, to run around the country and have people going crazy over you, you know. Uh, right. You know, that's, How can you be mad? Yeah. How can you be mad that <laughs> How could you be mad? people are taken with something you created true you know and right. that's and, and I, I i we talked about this a little bit last week about joan jett and how she had made peace with it quote unquote but like i you know you you always you always want to play one of my songs that i don't necessarily want to play but i'm like i love that you and several other people want to play that song true and we won't get into our band at all but i get it in a way that you know the the I think Doug and Burton, you know, and Prescott knew they were not going to be playing live shows in the mid two thousands if they refused to play My Sharona. They knew that, right? They knew that. They seemed more comfortable with it than a lot of other bands, I believe. And that's you know, you know and and when I talked to Doug, I, I I mentioned to him, I said, I heard what you said to that guy, the guy that was yelling, my Sharona, play my Sharona. And he said, he said, if we play it now, the show's over. You know, and I, and and he just kind of laughed about it. He wasn't mad. That's he, like he was, a like a heckler, like a true heckler, it you know. It really was, and he, and he wasn't mad about it. He was just like, yep, that's just what we deal with, you know. And so. Do you yeah, think he had to deal to with that, that often, that's, that's, that sort of I thought? I think that's, yeah. that sort of, sort of puts an exclamation point on what we're saying here. Is right. that, Would I, you rather have that one hit or not have that one hit? <laughs> uh, I would rather have the hit. I'll take the hit, you know. so And, and, and the royalties. <laughs> well, the royalties. I heard Doug say on a, a later interview that he, did, he didn't work, have yeah. to work. He only... Yeah, played music because he liked it. He didn't and really, you know. He think, never had to leave his house. He didn't have to leave his he house. Only, he said, he, "I want to leave my house because I get to play music live. Otherwise, right. I'm staying right where I am." <laughs> right. He had his music studio in his house. He recorded. He recorded solo albums. He recorded with other bands. Yeah, I kind of cracked up. He said, uh, "During the week, I get to live a normal life, and then on the weekends, I get to go play rock yeah. stars the way he liked to do it. He didn't want to tour." Yeah, but I thought. Uh, you call that a normal life? What you're living? You know, he's had to be living just like right. a king. You know what? A, but all off of this one success, I, I call that mailbox money. That's when yep. you <laughs> mailbox money. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, but and, I mean, I, I think they sort of. I think they would have rather people have been knack fans as opposed to my Sharona fans. Yes. They, there was a legion, one hundred percent, a legion of my Sharona fans and and a few Knack fans. And you know there were I mean? songs so. that that really warranted that. And I really think that, especially like, well, if you look at uh, Round Trip, you know their third album that no one knows about. Right. There were so many great songs that were just so different. You know, Art War was one of the first songs that had a person rapping in it well i'm sure they put their passion and all that stuff and then and then they serve it up and people still say play my sharona right exactly 
some of that stuff is just really progressive and interesting and and they don't get credit for it and anyway go go find go seek out zoom zoom the, to me the zoom album. someone once okay. told me zoom is the true follow-up to get the knack no kidding wow and i don't know if i agree with it but it was an interesting conversation because that's pretty darn interesting there are though, so really. many good songs on that that record that album and one of them one of them being like i said a mr magazine um and, and a couple of them were holdover songs from when they were the early knack well, I'm pretty interested to check that out myself. I yeah. will certainly be uh, pop, seeking pop that out. Pop is Dead is a fantastic song because it's a pop song that is telling you that Pop is Dead. By one of the ultimate pop bands. By one of the <laughs> ultimate pop bands, yeah. It's so ironic, yeah. <laughs> so, when we, you know, you're a, a power pop fan. Yes. And I think by studying the knack, I'm only only starting to understand what power pop is. It's sort of like melody and charm meets... Uh, guitar and drum, you know, energy. kind of like energy, energy. yeah, you know, rock and roll energy. Let's Punk say energy, yeah, yeah. There you go but with lots of melody. So, would you say the Knack may have been the first true power pop band? Because the Who approaches that. But, I think you know. the Who, well, and the Knack or the Pete uh, Townsend first uttered the words power pop, to my knowledge. True. He told someone we were a power pop band well what i'm gonna say is like the kinks and the who showed shades of power pop yeah, and so did the beatles but also the raspberries right. um in in the early 70s um you know uh big star right there were a lot of bands in the 70s that sort of led up this but it became a thing in the late 70s early 90s and the knack put Put it on the top of the charts. So, do you think it? They were maybe the first fully formed power pop band. I mean, they possibly. were the first successful power pop. Band. Oh, okay, okay, right on. And they fair enough. Like, you know, you know how much I love the Romantics, and I love those guys. I know those guys. Yes, but they would not have ever made the charts. I don't think without the Knack. I really don't think. Oh, they really? You no. think they paved the way? Huh? I yeah. think that my Sharona paved the way for what I like about you. And we'll yeah. talk about that song on another show. Yes, we will. Queued up, but but I think that that my Sharona was it knocked disco off the charts. It right. brought rock and roll back into the charts. Right. You know, Led Zeppelin was, and and the Eagles were floundering. Not they were still in the charts. They just weren't getting to the top. Right. We're talking disco about disco was beating them down, and the neck was like they were like, boom, we got we're we're knocking it down. And so. Yeah. Then the 80s blossomed, and we had rock and roll back into charts. I think the Knack should be revered for killing disco. Along and, with maybe Tom Petty and a help from and, Bruce and, Springsteen. And they sure. helped pave yeah. the way for that, yes. Yeah. And Tom Petty, as we said, was on stage with the Knack because he was on board with what they were doing. It, it's just you interesting know? to me, these cycles in rock and roll, where yeah. it starts yeah. out as this certain kind of thing which is the kind of the 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 crisp two and a half minute single and then it always kind of starts to sprawl out into something you know like it happened in the 90s with like the warrants and and right. you know some of those bands winger yep. you know and then all of a sudden you get a nirvana you know after you've watched poison nirvana looks like a whole different moment you know and i feel like that that was happening, you know, in the late seventies, like right there around nineteen eighty, with uh, bands like the Knack and and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, yep. the Cars, Cars, like they yeah. were cleaning up this sort of, 
you know, seven, eight minute single type deal. (laughs) We just lost our camera. (laughs) All right. I guess that concludes another episode of the Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. Kevin's going to do one more Uber Hipster. One more. Hipster, Uber hipster from Fall City because holy Toledo, what a freshman. Well, that's one thing you might uh, gain from listening to our podcast is like you might uh, be able to find some things you might want to uh, hey, sample in, in the beer yeah. in the beer world. We're gonna we're gonna branch out though. We're gonna branch. No, out. I think that's fine. But anyway, I, I hope we enlightened you a little bit as to some of the 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 things behind the scenes of the Nax uh, giant monster hit My Sharona yeah. that has kind of you know been such a that's big, our, big that's deal. That's our whole thing is we want to just dive into songs that you know and eventually maybe some you don't know that well that maybe you want to come to know. Please subscribe to the uh, podcast and uh, get updates for you know further episodes. We hope to keep this going for quite a while and we've got yeah. a, a ever-growing list of subject matter oh, that yeah. we want to tackle. And check out the Uncommon House Flies, our band from Louisville. Yeah. You might you might enjoy that too. And uh, my, my dog Atticus is finally falling asleep on the couch across from us. I wish we had a shot so, of him. Maybe I'll get a shot of him on, maybe on we'll the, do that, yeah, the tail out. He's finally, he's finally relenting that <laughs> this is not involving him at all. So, <laughs> But so. Uh, so what's the album we're looking up uh, one more time? Zoom. Uh, Zoom. Zoom. Zoom by Zoom. the Knack. And Look get the knack. Up. I'm going to listen to the deeper Look, cuts on yeah, get the knack. Definitely get the knack. If you haven't heard to get the knack, it's a great album. One of my favorite songs of all time, Otara. Otara. Uh, and Doug Figer sounds like he's going to cry when he's singing. Literally, he sounds like he's about to cry. Pouring out the emotion, leaving it all on the field. And it's about a roadie that he knew <laughs> on the road. He was just like, she's so hot that I want to. Man, he tended to get wound up on certain. He was uh, a boy. Uh, he was a boy. He was a boy. And he. Uh, if we were doing a, a porn podcast, we could talk about this song. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just saying. I want to cut that out in post production. No, <laughs> yes, no, I totally not. am. I totally am cutting this out.